Loyal listeners of Material World will remember this clip of two hipsters grilling their waiter about the chicken on the menu at a restaurant in Portland, Oregon. Is that USDA organic or Oregon organic or Portland organic? It's just all across the board, organic. The hazelnuts, these are local. How big is the area where the chickens are able to clip from Portlandia went viral after the episode aired. It seems to sum up a lot of the trends we see in the food industry these days. It's funny, I was looking on YouTube and that clip is actually six years old. It definitely struck a nerve and it's become kind of shorthand for people in Portland or Brooklyn or San Francisco, places like that. They've kind of taken these food trends to the extreme. There's definitely an element of truth to it. Absolutely. People want to know what's in their food these days. It's a big change that we see playing out across the food and beverage industries. Today on Material World, we're talking about the explosion of food and beverage labels, what that means for consumers and companies. I'm Jenny Kaplan, and today I'm delighted to introduce you to our first guest host, Craig. That's right. I'm Craig Giamona, and I cover the food industry and grocery stores here at Bloomberg. Grocery aisles are filled with products with labels like organic, natural, GMO-free, healthy, gluten-free, sugar-free, low-fat, low-calorie, low-sodium. Shoppers are using those labels as a guide. In some ways, you know, that's not a new trend. The front of the package has always been, I think, a big thing in stores. And it's really now just demand from shoppers that have forced companies to even change their recipes. You know, people, these companies are spending millions of dollars trying to chase these trends. They're removing stuff that they think is bad, like trans fat or artificial sweeteners, and even kind of trying to reduce salt and sugar. It goes back to trends that we've talked about a lot on this show. People want to be healthier. They want to pick products that are going to make them feel better and maybe live longer. We have a lot of access to information about this stuff now, and people are looking for products that they think are going to help them lead a healthy life. So you cover the big food companies. How does that actually impact them? How do these consumer demands hit the big players? Really, the story for the big companies has been bad. I mean, these trends and sort of a focus on more authentic brands and fresh and less processed, that's really hurt the big companies. And it's particularly tricky because these big companies aren't known for being fast. They're not necessarily the the most nimble operations. They're big, giant companies with billion-dollar brands. And the problem is that these a lot of these trends can be moving targets. In terms of the companies I cover, there's a great example, which is artificial sweeteners. PepsiCo actually got rid of aspartame from its diet Pepsi in August of 2015, and sales actually dropped. They thought that people didn't want aspartame. They added sucralose instead. But in the end, the consumer didn't like how it tasted, and it didn't really matter what they thought was healthy or unhealthy. The people who wanted Diet Pepsi wanted it to taste like they wanted it to taste. So it's tough when the consumer doesn't actually respond to what they say they want. Companies react, and then it doesn't always really make sense. But then you run into really tricky food science questions. So you take a cereal like Trix. You know, Trix is known for the brightly colored 
pieces of cereal. And it took General Mills a long time to figure out how to recreate those colors with natural, natural colors. And in fact, they had to abandon some of the colors. And, you know, there's a trend where they said, well, we could make them all gray if we had to, but we didn't think people would eat that. So there's this tension between how things taste and whether or not it's healthy. And a lot of this is based in consumer perceptions. A great example is the fight over GMOs. Science says GMOs are safe, but there's a segment of customers that don't want them. The food companies did not want to label GMOs for a long time. You know, they eventually lost that fight, but it it just shows kind of, I think, how tricky all of this is for these companies to figure out. When you want a tasty snack, snack goes granola. Snack goes the family. Here's granola in crunchy bars. New from Nature Valley. 100% natural ingredients, no additives, no preservatives. Rolled oats and honey, coconut and cinnamon flavors. All delicious. Snack. Wholesome treats your whole family will enjoy. New Nature Valley Granola Bars. Some of these terms have more or less meaning, right? So the term organic, that means something. The government defines organic. That means that the ingredients or the food was raised in a certain way by a farmer who's doing things a certain way. But then you have a term like natural, which simply isn't defined. You see natural really used a lot. And natural, quote unquote, natural is really on trend these days. That's what people want. And I mean, I think that right now the big trend is that it's much more about the benefit you get from the food. So how much protein does this have? How much good fat is in it? 10 or 15 years ago, it was much more about low fat, low calorie. So now people are just looking to sort of get more out of their food. But it turns out that the labels, following labels, trying to pick things that sound like they're healthier for you, doesn't always necessarily mean the product you pick fits that bill. In fact, research has shown that even terms that seem very simple, like low fat, don't necessarily help people make better choices. We talked to a professor from UNC about her research on this very topic. Lindsay smith talley is a research assistant professor in the Department of Nutrition at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. So we know what they buy, and then we have that data linked to data on the Nutrition Facts Panel. So that's what's on the back of the package, including the nutritional profile, but also the ingredients, as well as um, images from the front of the package. So we know what kinds of claims, for example, are being made on the front of the package. Um, And so in that way, we're able to actually analyze just, first of all, how much of these types of products are people buying and whether there are any differences by um, race, ethnicity, or income. Um, But then we're also really interested in understanding whether there's an association between having this type of claim, so a low sugar or low fat or low sodium claim, in the actual nutritional profile of the package. Her research showed that labels that may seem to imply a product is healthier are no guarantee that that's the case. We found that the link between having a claim and the nutritional profile was not very straightforward. So in some cases, products that did contain a claim did have lower sugar or lower sodium or lower fat or whatever the nutrient claim was. But in other cases, we found that products that contained a low-sugar claim, for example, actually had higher sugar. Um, In addition to that, we found that products that made this type of claim, sometimes they would have a lower level of nutrient. So they might have a lower-sugar product might have lower sugar, but then it might also have higher levels of fat than comparable products. So it, it really seemed like if you're a consumer trying to make a healthier choice, 
and you're using these front-of-package claims to help you do that, it's really um, not very straightforward at all because you might be making a choice based on sugar, for example, but you might end up with a product that's actually unhealthier overall. So there's another piece of this, and that's the fact that the government rules and regulations really haven't kept up with the changing attitudes about health. Kind, which is a snack bar company, they found this out the hard way in 2015. Kind is a good example, really, of how the food industry is changing. You know, they had sales of almost $700 million last year and now control about 10% of the snack bar market. And they've done that really in just a couple of years, you know, taking on food giants like General Mills and Kellogg and, you know, even Frito-Lay, which is a unit of PepsiCo. So here's a company that sort of came out of nowhere with a bit with a healthier message and they're carving out a huge piece of the market. They put their bars in clear packages, which are meant to convey transparency, which is a big trend. And the labels are all about almonds and healthy oats. So they're touting the good stuff that's in there. Kind ran into trouble for exactly that reason. They were calling their bars healthy and received a warning letter from the FDA because they were making that claim. We talked to Justin Mervis, Kind's general counsel, about what happened with the FDA then and what's happened since. In March 2015, Kind received a warning letter from FDA and, uh, among other things, the letter uh, instructed Kind to remove the word healthy from several of our labels. Um, and we were a bit perplexed because Kind products, the, the bars they were referencing, but all the products really are packed full of nutrient-dense ingredients like nuts and whole grains, fruits, etc. And when we dug into the, the regulation itself with respect to defining healthy and how you can use that on a label as a, what they call a nutrient content claim, um, what we found was the the definition was grounded in, in setting various nutrient levels. So if a product has three grams or more of total fat or one gram or more of saturated fat, it can't use healthy as a nutrient content claim. And that implicates things like nuts, which have mono and, uns- mono and polyunsaturated fats in them. Um, and if you look further, you find, well, that also applies to things like salmon and avocados and olives, all foods that today we understand are good for us and, and are recommended for consumption, even by our own government, by our federal dietary guidelines. Um, and what's interesting is these rules were put in place in, in the early 90s at a time when there was a serious focus on fat reduction and not so much thought about sugar intake. And so as a result, the way the rules play out, you end up permitting things like sugary children's cereals and low-fat chocolate pudding to be labeled as healthy while these nutrient-dense ingredients like almonds and avocados can't be. It wasn't just the term healthy that got the FDA's attention. They, they highlighted some other issues where we technically weren't in compliance. I mean, for instance, there's a wrapper that said plus antioxidants on it, and, and when you write something like plus antioxidants, you have to provide well what you're comparing it to. You know, it's more than something else, and, and we didn't have that disclosure. So things like that where it's not that the wrappers are necessarily misleading or untruthful, it's just there are technical rules in place and you need to comply with them, and, and we weren't 100% in compliance in certain instances. And so we changed all of that. I mean, today 
uh, all the wrappers comply with all of those kinds of rules, and, and FDA issued what's called a closeout letter, acknowledging that all the, the appropriate changes had been made. What you hear there is a food company that's struggling to navigate the rules. They're trying to make sense of a government system that's antiquated and confusing. People want to make better choices in the store, but they're rushed. Most people don't have time to scour the full nutrition label and ingredient list before grabbing a bag of chips or crackers. That's right. People basically don't. I think that the data shows that people spend you know 15 seconds or less picking something out on a shelf, which again is why these labels are so important. Here's Professor Lindsay smith Tally once again. Of course, we know that food purchase decisions are very complex. They're also driven by things like price or other marketing techniques. So, you know, promotions in the store, advertisements that they've seen elsewhere, um, impulse purchasing, whether or not they have a child with them. There are all sorts of factors that go into making that decision. Um, but this is basically a data reduction technique. So you're able to say, instead of having to pick up the product and look at the back and try to make sense of the nutrition labels, which can be kind of complex, you have this simple front-of-the-package label that says, hey, this product might be healthier for you. Uh, And that can be pretty enticing to consumers. At the same time, people are trying to make healthy decisions and they're looking for quick ways to kind of assess that information. People talk about a day when you'll be able to use your smartphone to just sort of scan the label and get everything you want. But again, that that process is going to take 30 seconds, maybe a minute, which isn't something that people are willing to do. So again, how do you cut through this noise? Why do people say they want to vote with their dollars, but then, you know, they don't, right? You're getting 70 to 80 percent of people saying they want to, and then uh, you're not seeing that kind of movement on shelf. And so we decided that there was a piece of the puzzle missing, um, which was a a simple way to interact with this information at the point of purchase so that you could continue your kind of normal shopping habits. Alexander Gillette founded a company called How Good in 2007. It's basically an app and a rating system that judges food on a variety of criteria, things like sustainability and how it was raised. And what they're trying to do is give consumers a simple rating that tells them about their product. We're rating each product on 60 to 70 different indicators, and those range all the way from the environmental to the social impact of the product. So we're looking at the growing practices, the production, and the organization are kind of like the three large buckets. And then, you know, within each of those, you're breaking it down to the the labor standards, the livestock standards, the community practices, the organizational practices. And, And the idea here is to take an overall look at the company. And, and if a consumer was to watch that product be made from, you know, from A to Z, how good would they feel about that, right? If they understood each one of those steps, how good would they feel about both how that product impacted the world as well as how it will impact themselves? So a big part of what we're doing is where we're mapping out the food system, right? So if you say, hey, I'm growing tomatoes in Florida, Right? We understand the legal pesticides, the legal fertilizers, the standard labor practices that are going on down there. And we know kind of what is the standard and worst case scenario uh, that could happen in that region. Right? So let's just say you're getting something purely conventional and you had no other uh, stipulations on it other than coming from you know, Florida or California for tomatoes. You know, going with those California ones, you're getting a product where the pesticides have left carcinogenics in it, right? That's a, that's a one-off issue where it's very simple with very little information, but that's kind of the starting point of, of how this process grows. 
It's unfortunately true that there's a lot of greenwashing out there. There's a lot of products that mislead consumers or use very similar labels to labels that mean a lot. And it's why we built everything on a scale. Uh, is the idea that when you know a consumer is walking through the egg department and you ask them to know the difference between free range, cage free, free roaming, and you know certified humane, it's a lot easier just to say actually here's a scale. Of the standards that these eggs are being held to, and the and you know the chickens and the and the labor, right? And and that makes it a much easier concept for consumers to engage with without having to relearn a different system for every different segment of the grocery store. We've heard perspectives from companies and experts on food labels, but what about consumers? Craig and I took Lindsay Rupp, the other Material World co-host, to a grocery store near our office to find out what goes into her purchasing decisions. So we've come here to a grocery store in Midtown Manhattan, and we've come to the snack bar aisle, and we've brought Lindsay along with us to kind of see, you know, just what the consumer faces when they're shopping and, you know, trying to figure out what all this stuff that's on the labels means. So the Kashi ones, it's like got a little bit of chocolate in it, which I like, but it also has got your nuts and your things that seem healthy. The Nature Valley, I just have never liked, so wow. I'm not, yeah, I don't know. Something turned me off of Nature Valley because they have a lot of sugar in them. And I mean, I, I guess I'm seeing the labeling on the front that tells you how many calories and how much sugar, which actually they all have. Another interesting thing here is that like kind is in a different section. Yeah, I would go for the kind bars if they were here. Love a good kind bar. Yeah, they've got yeah. kind and Lara bar in a different, right. and Cliff bar in a different area. So it's like those are the ones that really have been growing, and those are sort of the healthy ones. These are more of the. These are more of the stand. Yeah, right. So you see this next to the soda, which is kind of interesting. But these are the kind of the standard ones from you know Frito Lay and from General Mills. And then there's a different section where the healthier ones are, which is kind of interesting. You know, it's choice by the store as far as how to merchandise, I guess. Are you a GMO shopper at all? I mean, no. it's interesting. We're seeing all these, you know, Schneiders of Hanover. It's a big food company calling yep. out non that their pretzels are non-GMO. Does that mean anything to you? No, I have no idea. I don't even. I like my eye totally glances over that label. I what about uh, gluten-free? Do you care at all about gluten-free? Uh, I, you know, I don't actually care that much about gluten-free, but it is pretty surprising how big the gluten-free label is. It doesn't make me think it's necessarily that much healthier, although it does catch my eye. It is amazing how much they call out gluten-free and GMO. Like, they just think that there's, there's, because there's shoppers that are shopping that. Yeah, I guess there are. I'm not that person. I might, might. Uh, ibuprofen says it's gluten-free. Stop it. Yeah. Are you serious? That's hilarious. I'm serious. It's clear that some of these labels are helpful to shoppers. Right, which is really interesting to look at the snack aisle, particularly with pretzels and salty chips and things like that. And gluten-free is everywhere now, and so is non-GMO. So, I mean, what you see there is these companies looking for any way to quickly say, hey, this is healthy, or hey, this is better for you. You know, that's been the, the basic trend. That's why big food companies are hurting, because these products that dominated the shelves for decades are just viewed as a little bit suspect by consumers now, and they're searching out stuff they think is healthy. So, I mean, does are there? there's plenty of people that don't care about GMOs, but 
I guess for that small group of people that that's their thing, you slap that label on there and that's an easy way. There's the mom that shops and she has a, you know, young kids and she wants them to be healthy. She shops for non-GMO stuff. So these companies are slapping different things on their labels in, in the hopes of, you know, hey, appealing to that healthy customer. Look, I've seen gluten-free on hot dogs. You know, you see salt that's labeled non-GMO when there is in fact no GM salt. So a lot of this stuff is arbitrary. It always has been. I think it always will continue to be confusing. But what you definitely see is more and more shoppers who want to know this kind of thing and then the companies chasing those sales. Kix is a cereal with a simple corn crunch kids like. And Kix is low in sugar. That's what mom's like. Hey, what are you drawing? Me eating Kix. Very nice. Kix, kid tested, mother approved. We did a previous episode about sugar and salt and how people's nutritional preferences change. And that's evident here again with this GMO and gluten-free and all this other stuff, in the future, it could be something totally different. That's right. I mean, if we know anything, it's that these things tr- change. And I think the real problem for the companies now is that they change maybe faster than they have in the past. But just think about the news that comes across in an average week where there's some study, okay, drink more coffee. Coffee's good for you. Chocolate's good for you. Oh, the next week, you know, now coffee's bad. Don't drink coffee. So there's that element of it just where it's very difficult, again, for the consumer to even to make sense of the when these studies come out constantly. But then you just have the big broad trends. You know, fat was bad. You had to avoid fat. Well, now, you know, people are eating full-fat dairy again because fat is back. And now sugar is the bad guy. I mean, do I think there'll be a time when we decide sugar is good? Maybe not. But the point is that these trends change extremely fast. And that's why smaller companies that are a little quicker to the market have really been able to take advantage in this environment. And these big companies, they're kind of super tankers. They don't really turn on a dime. They've struggled. It may be, though, that looking forward, big companies could have the money to actually put in some quicker changing infrastructure in stores, right? Things like smart labels, different ways of changing that advertising more quickly. The big companies have a huge advantage. They're gigantic. They have scale. They have teams of scientists working on this stuff. But, you know, so far, I mean, I think they would admit this if you got them to speak honestly, is that they just haven't done the best job sort of navigating all of this. Remember the simple pleasures of being a kid? They're back. Now you can eat like a kid again when all you cared about was taste. Introducing new Lay's Wow Potato Chips. They taste just as good as regular Lay's. And because they're made with Olean, they're half the calories and 100% fat-free. Dad, how are we going to get home? You know, son, you worry too much. New Lay's Wow. Life tastes good again. It's hard out there to really figure out if you're eating the right stuff. I mean, it's not really as easy as just looking at the labels to find out if something's healthy. But on the other hand, you know, that's better than not looking at all. And hopefully this will evolve moving forward to make those kinds of labels more accurate. Yeah. And that companies are working on that. I mean, the people we talk to at How Good, that's exactly what they're trying to do. They're trying to make it where I can walk up, I look at the label and boom, there's the rating. It's good, better, best, that kind of thing. So there's companies working on this. I think there's a huge desire for that because, again, people are busy. People don't have time. I mean, I, you know, even the percentage of customers that turn around the box to look at the ingredient list, I think that that's a you know few and far between the people that do that. I mean, I think it's happening more maybe than it ever did, but still, people go through the aisles. They see stuff they know. They see stuff that looks good. They grab it. So I think there's definitely demand for a world where we can look at something and very quickly assess whether you know it's healthy. I like to
for this episode of Material World. For more Material World and for other great Bloomberg podcasts like Game Plan, check out iTunes, Bloomberg.com, or wherever you listen to shows like this. You can also follow us on Twitter. I'm at Sitka Writer. And I'm at Jenny M. Kaplan. Material World is produced by Liz Smith and Magnus Henriksen. The head of Bloomberg Podcast is Alec McCabe. We'll be back in two weeks. They're going to be alpha. I mean, that's beyond. That's the next one, alpha? I think so. You know, that X, Z, A.